So John chapter 16, uh, before we get into reading the passage, I, I do want to do a quick review for you just to bring you up to speed of where we're at, kind of where we've been and where we're at today. Um, you know, we've been walking along uh, the Gospel of John, and really we saw in, in chapter 14, we saw this uh, dialogue between Jesus and the disciples, and this is uh, a farewell address of Jesus, and he's, he's communicating some important things to the, the uh, disciples. And right away, in John chapter 14, we saw something very encouraging. Uh, Jesus starts off letting them know to not let their hearts be troubled. He says, believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. And then he tells them, I am going to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I'm going to come back and take you to be with me. And uh, I think I said it when I preached that, that chapter. It's probably one of the most encouraging verses in the whole Bible. Uh, for us who hope in Christ and for his return, uh, that is just so encouraging to hear that, that he's gone, number one, to prepare a place for us, but number two, that he's going to come back, and then number three, he's going to take us to be with him. And uh, it sounds, sounds like a great deal to me. How about you? Amen. So it starts off so encouraging with John chapter 14. And it's almost like, um, you know, there's some people who like to get, uh, they like to get criticized in a kind of like a, in a sandwich form, so to speak. Um, the, the, the bread, the bottom bread is, is a compliment. The criticism is the meat in the middle. And then the top bread is another compliment, right? That's the way they like to receive criticism. And uh, it's a good method, you know, if, if that's the way that, you know, you like to receive criticism. Tell me something, uh, you know, good, bad, and then... Um, again, something that is uh, a good again. But here Jesus begins with the good, actually. He begins with the good, and then he goes into, after that, um, the rest of, after he promises the Holy Spirit in John chapter 14, then in John chapter 15, that's where um, the, the tough part comes in. And he starts to explain that he is the true vine, and he tells the disciples, either you're, you're in me or you're not. Either you're a believer or you're not. And if you are in me, then you're going to bear fruit. If, you're, if you don't bear fruit, that's a sign that you're not in me. Um, and for those who are in me, there's everlasting life with me. And those who are not attached to me, well, there's everlasting death apart from me. And then he continues on, and then he tells him in John chapter 15 that the world will hate them. And he begins to explain the persecution that they will receive uh, from the world. And then... In John chapter 16, which is the chapter that we're in, he begins that with, I have warned you about these things, I have said these things to you, so that you do not fall away. That you do not become discouraged by this persecution, and it causes you to, to fall away from your faith, to lose faith. Instead, I'm telling you all this so that it can build your faith. You can know that I know about all this. You can know that I've already determined all this, and you can know that my hand is in it, and, it's in, and you will be protected through it. So here we are. You know, he, he begins to encourage them again, so to speak. So that's where we're at here in John chapter 16, verses 12 through 15. For the sake of context, though, I'm going to read from verse 1 all the way through uh, verse 15. It says, I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out in the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. 
But I have said these things to you that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. But now I am going to him who sent me and none of you asked me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I did not go away, the helper would not come. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment concerning sin, because they do not believe in me concerning righteousness, because I go to the father and you will see me no longer concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. Now, here here's where we um, start off today. Verse 12, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine, therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. That is the word of the Lord. Amen. So, um... So we have this awesome uh, passage today that's going to bring more encouragement to us. Uh, at least I hope it does. And for some, it may convict. Um, obviously, if you are not on the uh, right side of the Lord, uh, if you're not in Christ, then this will convict you. And, and praise God for that. I, I pray that it convicts you so much so that you um, place your trust in him today. Uh, but if you are in Christ, uh, this is going to be encouraging for you because uh, we are going to study the spirit of truth. We're going to see uh, the help that we have, even though we have trouble in this world. Um, you know, when I speak about the world, and again, I, I want to make myself very clear, what God has created is good. And uh, we, we need to be careful about the way we see the world and God's creation and everything in it. What he's done is good. The life that we have is good. Uh, when we go to be with the Lord, it's going to get better. And the best is when we are glorified. We receive our glorified body and, and everything is made new. Uh, that's the best ever. But we can't walk around here as Christians and just, and just with our heads down and saying we have it so horrible. We have it great because we have the Lord. Amen? So we have to acknowledge that. The Lord is good. and What he has done in our lives is good. Our lives are good no matter what we face. But when I say the world, I mean society and I mean society outside of the church. That's the battle that we're facing. And in today's world, it seems that truth is relative. And what I mean by that is that um, the world, society allows people to have their own truth while someone else has their own truth. We see it all the time. This is called, uh, it, it's, in a, it's a, a byproduct or a product of postmodernism. And it has led society to believe in its own truth. And it makes it very difficult because, to, first of all, to believe in one's own truth over what God has said to be true, that's considered lawlessness. And the Bible says in 1 John chapter 3 that lawlessness is sin. So it's a no wonder if you are part of society and you do not believe in objective truth, you only believe in what you to be true as true, uh, you are a product of lawlessness. You are a child of lawlessness and all you do is lawlessness. 
In fact, from, you, from the, your inner core to what you do every single day, it's all lawlessness. It's all sin. And that's, that's a scary thing. But you can agree with me that we, we're starting to see that more and more in today's world. I mean, years ago, it was like people were against religion and the Bible, but they were okay with, with governing laws. You know, people were at least moral people so to speak. And I'm not even saying that's a good thing, but they were moral people. I'm stating a fact. But as time has gone on, morality has gone out the window. And now not, people not only throw religion aside, not only throw the Bible aside, but now the governing laws that have been established in this country for, I don't know, ages and ages, people are saying, you know what? I don't like that law. I don't need to follow that law. In fact, there are movements now to, to defund police, to get rid of prisons, like it's insanity. But yet, this is the world, this is the society we are facing. And as Christians, we have to learn how to interact. We have to learn how to live in this world and make a difference for Christ. Because that's our purpose, right? So, so we live in a world that has its own Truth and that truth has led them to lawlessness, and this makes it difficult for the Christian to share the gospel. And the reason why it's so difficult for the Christian to share the gospel is because people often reject it when it doesn't line up with their truth. You can tell them, you can show them John 3.16, you can present the word to them as best as you can. But if they're going to be, believe their own truth, they're just not going to respond to you in a good way. And that's fine because our job is not to change their minds. Our job is to plant the seed. Our job is to minister to them with the word. And after that, we step back because God does all the rest. But yet we still have to face, we have to look at that person in the eye and present the gospel to them. And we need to be ready that it's not going to be received because it does not match up with their truth. See, common responses of those who hold subjective truth are two common responses. Either there's a total rejection of God and religion altogether, and these are the type of people who don't, they don't want you to put God, they say, don't, don't throw God in my face. Don't shove him at me. Don't present him at me. I don't want to have to do anything with God. So that's, that's one response. But then the other response when we share the gospel is, is that people actually believe in God. They say that they are Christians, but see, they have created a God of their own imagination. And it's out of their own preferences. Because it's like, okay, I, this is what I like about the Bible. I like that that Jesus says these things, I do not like what Paul says, I do not like what Peter says in these certain books or these certain chapters. And so therefore, I will believe in Christ, but I'm not going to believe it in what Paul and Peter says is, is, is as heavy and is as true as what Christ has said in the Bible. What they don't realize is that Jesus is the word of God. So, they, they, they only believe in a God of their imagination, of their preference, and their immediate response is, don't judge me because only God 
can judge me. You see, we see those two responses all the time, and it, it is frustrating. It's frustrating because we not only de- deal with these, these type of people, you know, outside in public, people we don't know, but these are people whom we love, we care about, we want them to, to receive the gospel, we want them to place their faith and their trust in Christ. And th- these are the responses that we get. So on the human side, it is frustrating because people can easily justify their sin. They can justify their sin where there is no objective truth. But see, God does not and he will not let it stand. And the amazing thing about it is that he has given us his Holy Spirit. And he is called the Spirit of Truth in this passage. And it's so awesome that he has that name. Today I want to talk to you about the importance of his work. Now, before we actually get to his work, I, I first I want to talk to you about the person of the Holy Spirit, this spirit of truth. But we have to fully understand that the Holy Spirit, the spirit of truth here in this passage, are one and the same. And, and the spirit of truth, he is fully God. We always say, you know, Christ is fully God. So is the Holy Spirit. He is part of the Trinity. In fact, he is the third person. And notice I refer to him as a person. He is a divine being. There is the Father, there is the Son, and then there is the Holy Spirit. Now, with the Holy Spirit, he is not something that was... So, so one thing is that he's not just a, a ghost figure that, that kind of floats around and just does things. He is a person. He can be grieved. He, he, ex, he is the executor of God's will. And he is, as, as God... He has eternally existed. In fact, when we open our Bibles and we look at page one in Genesis, we see in chapter one, um, verse one, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep. And it says here, and the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. We see the Trinity here in the very beginning. We see God the Father. We see the Spirit of the Lord hovering over the waters. And we see the Son, the Word of God, made flesh. We see them all here in Genesis. So he has eternally existed with God. He is God. And he is the executor of God's will. See, what we have to understand, you know, we go back and we look at John chapter 1 and we understand that all things were made through Christ because that's what it says in in the gospel of John chapter 1. So we understand everything was made through him. But we have to understand that everything was made by the power of the Holy Spirit. So what he does for us, who he is, is extremely important. He is God in us. He is the one who makes a difference in our lives. He helps us every day. Without him, life would be impossible. Now, sadly, he is the most misunderstood, he is the most neglected, and he is the most abused person of the Trinity. And maybe the issue is that we don't see him as a person. We, uh, a lot of people just see him as a spirit, a, a power 
and not, not an actual divine being. I don't know, there could be other reasons for that, but I just know that he is, again, the most misunderstood, neglected, and abused person of the Trinity. But our lives would be helpless and meaningless without him. In fact, let's look at our passage in verse 7. John chapter 16, verse 7. Listen to what Jesus says about the Holy Spirit. He says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I did not go away, the helper will not come to you. That's how important he is to us. We know how important Jesus is, but Jesus says, listen, it is to your advantage that I am going because I'm going to send the helper. So we have to realize the work of the Holy Spirit and what he does in our lives and the difference he makes. And that's what we're going to talk about today, the difference he makes through his work. So let's look at the work of the Holy Spirit as Jesus lays it out here in John chapter 16. First of all, I do want to back up a little bit and talk about a little bit of of what we did not talk about last week. We talked about that God will judge the world, but let's talk about what that means. Verses 8 through 11, Jesus tells them, And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment, concerning sin because they do not believe in me, concerning righteousness because I go to the Father, And you will see me no longer concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. Now, that is a great help to us. Because all this trouble that we have, I know you're like me. There are times where you just you're you're tired of it. You're tired of it and, and, and you feel like there needs to be justice. You know, that's ingrained in us for us to want justice. For us to want people to pay for what they've done. We understand that we ourselves, we should, there should be justice with our lives. But we understand that we have placed our faith in the one who has paid the price for us. But there are those who reject Christ and, and, and they, they do wrong not only to us but also to the church altogether and they boast about it. They laugh about it. There is no fear of God in them. And, and we think that they should have justice or there should be justice with what they have done. And see, this is what Jesus is mentioning here in verses 8 through 11. Again, he's having this Mount of Olives discourse with the disciples and he mentions the, spirit, the Spirit's work of judgment. See, this is the justice that we Want This is the justice that we pray for. One thing about this passage as I was studying is that it's really difficult to uh, decipher exactly what is being said here. And I, I cannot with a clear conscience just tell you this is exactly what it means. I can tell you in general what it means. And the reason why I can't tell you just exactly what it means is because there are people who are way smarter than me who know Greek And this is difficult for them, this language here. And everything that it is saying in verses 8 through 11. But the general understanding is that that the Lord, God, will convict the world. And it will be the Holy Spirit's work to do so. He will convict the world first by exposing sin. He will expose sin. 
And for that, we should be grateful. Because listen to how important this is. In a world where there is just subjective truth, our, our society lives upon subjective truth, it's hard to nail somebody down to tell them, no, you are wrong. No, you are sinning against God. Because they'll just turn around and tell you, well, that's your belief. It's not my belief. The God I believe, the God I believe in, he's okay with my lifestyle. And, and it's, you're just like, no, listen, you are sinning against God. You are missing the mark. They're like, well, no, you have your truth. I have my truth. Let's just separate. Even if you show them scripture, it's like, well, no, I don't see it that way. And you say, well, but listen, this is how the church has, has understood this passage from the very beginning. Well, yeah, but that's the church. I, I, I see it differently. God has given me a mind or God has spoken to me and revealed to me that this verse means this. Doesn't mean what everybody else thinks it means. So, as I said, it's very frustrating. It's hard to nail somebody down and they can do that with us. They can play that game with us. But listen, they cannot play that game with the Holy Spirit. He is going to reveal sin. Because he is the truth. He is the spirit of truth. So, yes, we're entitled to our own opinion. Society can think whatever it wants. But one day, they will have to answer for that. One day, we will have to answer for that. So he convicts the world by first exposing sin And we will see that subjective truth does not stand against the word of God. In fact, I'd like to say that he will not only convict the world one day, there are many who are living convicted today. They're just storing up wrath for themselves. They stand convicted and guilty before God. And, 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 you know, this is just not me just saying this. Uh, let's turn to Romans chapter 1. I want to read a passage there for you. Romans chapter 1. And I'm going to read verses uh, 21 through 32 for you. There's some heavy stuff here. He says, For although they knew God, They did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal men and birds and animals and creepy things. Therefore, now listen here, this is this is the judgment and of course, Paul here, let me give you some context. Paul is talking about people from the past. He is talking about the nation of Israel. But as we continue to read, we understand that this is how God has handled all of humanity. All of humanity. All have turned away from him. And, and, and it's not like he's waiting to like, completely judge them at one time. What we'll find out here is that they already stand judged. And you can see that product of their judgment in their lifestyle. So he says, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God and give thanks to him. But they became uh, futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. 
Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man, birds, animals, and creepy things. I just realized I had read that already. Okay, verse 24. Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts. Judgment right there. Listen, the reason why you sit here today is not because you realized that you were a bad person and you decided to change yourself. And the reason why you weren't completely um, destroyed by your sin or you weren't completely sold over to your sin is not because you were strong enough to will it away. The reason and the only reason why you sit here today forgiven of your sin and, and, and fighting against it every single day is because God has extended grace to you. But if it, wasn't for, if it weren't for God, you would be consumed by your sin. You would be judged by him. And his judgment would be to give you over to that sin. So that every single day of your life, you would be tortured and enslaved to that sin until one day you're judged by it and you'll be sent to hell. That's, that's the plain truth. That's God's judgment for people who are alive today. But thanks be to God that he saved us from that. Because we can't sit here and say we're better off than anybody. It's all grace, it's all grace and grace alone. So it says here in verse 24, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever and ever. Amen. Listen here. Verse 26. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passions for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They're all full of envy, envy murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, Foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless, though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but they give approval to those who practice them. That is the judgment of God for those who are alive today and do not have Christ. And as I said, this is their earthly existence they are storing up wrath for themselves because all they have to look forward to is facing God's wrath unless, unless they believe in Christ. 
unless they trust in Christ. So this is what the Holy Spirit is sent to do to convict the world of sin. So although we are frustrated with people who have their own truth, we know that the Holy Spirit has the last word. But Jesus continues, verse 13. Let me get back there real quick. John chapter 16, verse 13. Jesus says, when the spirit of truth, or first of all, let me read verse 12 again. He says, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. Now, I think it's, uh, I think verse 12 is really intriguing. It's one of those verses where you just sit there and you wonder, what is it that they could not bear? I don't know, I read a verse like that and I just wonder, what was it that Jesus wanted to share with the disciples at that moment in time, but they could not bear it? And also, when did he tell them? Obviously, it's before he he ascended. He he told them at, at, at that time, probably because their faith was full after seeing him die and resurrect and he was there there before them. They finally understood everything, whatever it was that he could not tell them here because their hearts were broken already. He revealed to them then. Uh, It's only a, a guess or an assumption on my part, but it seems like that would be great timing for it. But I wonder what was it and when did they find out? But even going beyond that, when we go to verse 13, he says, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. See, the word guide here is important. Because in a society that believes in subjective truth, God will lead us in objective truth. He will lead us. I mean, it's even hard to, it's even hard to believe in the news and what they report nowadays, right? Right? It doesn't matter if it's liberal news, conservative news. It doesn't, it doesn't matter if it's anything and everything. You look at something and you're just like, <laughs> I don't know if I could believe this. I mean, we, we dealt with it, with the, and we're still dealing with it, with the coronavirus. We, it, everything is just going around and going around. I mean, everything changes daily, and you're just so frustrated. You're just like, what do we do? You're trying to figure out who to vote for. You're trying to make the best decision that you can. And let me tell you, either way, neither one of them is God's candidate, so to speak. Okay? let me just lay that out right there. There's issues on both sides. We're just trying to pick the lesser evil. But yet we can't even understand our candidates because everything is just mixed up and there's no real truth behind it. So the people who are supposed to give us objective news, just facts, we can't even get that. Why? Because they changed it to meet their agenda. So what do we do? Well, see, we should have never depended on the world for any kind of truth to begin with. Because truth comes from God. 
And of course, he leads us in truth and he leads us by his word. Psalm 119, 105 says, the word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Anyone who has ever attended VBS knows that verse. Say that every single day of VBS and I love it. Because that's where truth is and he guides us in the truth. See, through his word, he gives us direction for life and godliness. And that's why it's important to be in his word and to get his word in you. But listen, if you feel lost, if you feel lost in this world and you feel like you can't trust anybody, you can't trust anything anybody tells you, there's one place that you can trust. But you have to take it for what it says, not what you want it to say. We go to his word, and in his word, he guides us in all truth. Then look at the second part of verse 13. Here's another work of the Spirit. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. So not only does he guide us in all truth, but the spirit of truth will tell us what God says. It's what the ending of, or the second half of what verse 13 is telling us. Now, people often misunderstand this verse, and they make it to say something that it's not, it has not said and it is not saying. See, this verse doesn't make us all prophets who can just go around and prophesy things and say, well, God has told me this, so therefore it's true, and I am speaking this to everybody else, and you just you have to believe it. Here lately, uh, you know, when this whole COVID-19 thing came around, right around March, April, May, you started to see these people who, who started coming out and recording themselves, and they were all talking about this dream that they had from God. And they were just like, hey, I just want, you know, God approached me in a dream. He told me this dream. Uh, and, and I didn't really want to say anything. He told me in, in November or December of last year, but I didn't want to say anything. And finally, with all this COVID stuff coming out now, I realized, I realized that I needed to say something. And then they began to tell this prophecy about whatever is to come. And the funny thing, though, is that this happened several times, and, and the videos that they recorded, they went viral. But if you go back and listen to about three or four of these, they're all saying different things. Is God a God of confusion? No. Is that the way God's truth works, where he, he, he tells us to tell somebody else, but it contradicts something else he's already said in his word? No. Like I said, this doesn't make us prophets who can tell the world that God has said something and they have to believe us. That's not our calling. That's not our office. That belongs to the people of the Bible. That belongs to the prophets of the Old Testament. That belongs to the apostles. That does not belong to us. We we have to face that fact. I mean, it would be cool. It'd be extremely cool to be able to do that. You know, people make a lot of money off of that today. 
they, they just say, you know, God has revealed something to me. If you want to hear it, I can, I can tell it to you. For a certain amount of money, I can tell it to you. But again, they're going to answer to God for that. See, Jesus tells the disciples that the Spirit will tell them what the Father says. Now, there's a point to that. There's a reason for that. The Spirit will speak to the disciples and tell them exactly what the Father says because the disciples would become the apostles. The apostles would be called to reveal his word to humanity. Makes complete sense. They would reveal his word to humanity. What they heard spoken by God, they wrote for us. We have it right now in our hands. God has spoken in his word. What we receive from them, we take it as the word of God. It's an amazing gift to us. Let's look at 2 Timothy real quick, chapter 3. This is the... uh, this is a very important uh, passage here when it comes to understanding the word of God and, and the centrality of, of, of scripture within, uh, for the Christian church or within the Christian church here. But uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 through 17. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Verse 17, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. This is the word of God that has been passed down to us. And although the Spirit does not give us new revelation, the Spirit deciphers the truth for us in God's word. Without him, we could not comprehend it. We could not understand it. We could not obey it. But the Holy Spirit is there to speak to our hearts whenever we read God's word, whenever we hear preaching out of God's word. And we understand it as it is given given to us. It convicts us. It encourages us. it, it, It does all kind of different things to us. And that is the Holy Spirit speaking to us through the word of God. If it's not through the Bible, it's not God talking to you. If it's something that you're adding to the Bible, it's not of God. You have a demon whispering to you. See, and the thing is, is that there is... I don't know, I think there's insecurity in that because people are like, well, there are a lot of things that we don't understand in the Bible. Bible is hard to understand. You know, know, sometimes I I don't completely get it. I haven't really been a student of that. Well, there are some issues there, but today's the day. We all need to be students of God's word. As I said earlier, we need to get the word in us. But even if we don't know everything, if we don't know everything, it's, it's okay. We know 
what God wants us to know. And for the rest of it, we just have to trust in him. That's why he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 12, he says this, For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall see or I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. What we can see now, as far as everything that is happening, God's will, some of the things that are, that are, are difficult to understand in the Bible, whatever we see now, we see dimly. But we've given, God has given us enough for life and godliness. But it will not always be this way. One day, instead of seeing dimly, we will see face to face. We will know as well as we are known. It would be, it's going to be a wonderful and amazing thing, but until then, we go to God's word. And the Holy Spirit helps us to understand his truth. And then the last thing here in verse 14, Jesus points out something else that's very important. He says, he will glorify me. Speaking of the spirit of truth, he will glorify me for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. See, as the spirit guides us into all truth by revealing to us what the father has said, he will glorify Christ. I was reading um, a Spurgeon sermon on, I think it was verse 12. No, verse 13. I do believe he was preaching on verse 13. And from, uh, from that sermon... No, I'm sorry, he was preaching on verse 14. That's why it's here with this verse, duh. So on verse 14, this is what uh, Charles Spurgeon said about, about the Spirit glorifying God. It's, it's so great. He says, the Holy Spirit is the Lord's glorifier. That which does not glorify Christ is not of the Holy Spirit, and that which is of the Holy Spirit will glorify our Lord Jesus Christ. It goes Backward and forward, it's true. See, the, the, the purpose of the Holy Spirit's work is not to give us what we want. Not, it's not to give us anything that the prosperity gospel says it is. It's not to gift us, give us things. We're not this, the central focus of the Holy Spirit's life. It's not a genie in a bottle for us. We need to understand all that. And I, I, I think we do, but I feel like I still have to say that. The Holy Spirit's, the purpose of his work is to glorify Christ. See, if there's ever any doubt if something is godly or not, ask yourself this, does it glorify Christ? If it glorifies Christ, then praise God, you have convictions to do it, then do it. If it doesn't glorify Christ, then stay away from it. The Spirit has not spoken to you. The Spirit has not directed you in that. Because as Jesus says, he is sending the Spirit of truth and he will glorify Christ through his work. So, after understanding all this, we have, to, we have to understand that the disciples and everything that they were facing, it was all extremely heavy. 
really heavy stuff. And now we, we can understand and we can see why it was to their benefit that Jesus was leaving. But he did not leave them alone. He sent the spirit of truth to be with them forever. That's what it says in John chapter 13, verse 16. See, this spirit of truth wasn't just going to come for a time being. Jesus says, I'm giving him to you forever. Well, listen to me this morning. You are part of that forever. If you are in Christ, you have a companion forever. God is in you forever. See, I need you to listen carefully to me because there's going to come a time in your life when you're thinking you're all alone and you need to understand that God is with you forever. And I know it's going to come because it comes to everybody. We hear something like that and we're like, yeah, I know, that's great. Yay. But when you're really going through something and you think you have nobody to find out that you have the spirit of truth with you makes all the difference in the world. God is always doing his work in you. You are not done. So look at your life now. You're not done. The work that he began in you, well, he's going to carry it to completion in Christ Jesus. And that's going to be done by the work and the power of the Spirit. So you are part of that forever. If you are in Christ, you know the Spirit of truth because he dwells in you and he will be with you. That's what Jesus tells the disciples in John chapter 13, verse 17. So knowing this, what kind of people are we to be? That's the question that I ask myself every single time I, I read a passage and I try to figure out, like, number one, how do I live it? But number two, how do I, how do I tell our church? What, what do I tell them? What they should be? What they should do? There has to be an application. We have to respond to the word of God. So that's the question. You know, after I read a passage, what, what kind of person should I be? Because I've read this passage. Well, it reminded me of, of 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And it, it, it tells me we need to be jars of clay, if that makes any sense. It may not make much sense now, but after I read this passage to you, it will. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. This pretty much covers everything I've been preaching about. And it does it perfectly. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. But we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers. That's why they believe in their own truth. To keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Now we continue, verse 7. 
But we have this treasure in jars of clay. The treasure is the gospel. The jars of clay is us. To show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Listen here in verse 8. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Amen. Verse 10, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believed and I spoke, we also believe and we also speak, knowing that we who raise, that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. But or for it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase in thanksgiving to the glory of God. Now, here's verse 16. So we do not lose heart. Isn't that what Jesus said in John chapter 14? We do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Praise God. Hallelujah. Thank you for the spirit of truth. We are fearfully and wonderfully made by the powder. We are vessels of God's treasure. We have the gospel in us. Our lives are completely fragile, which makes us completely dependent on God. And because we are in Christ, we are vessels for honorable use. What a blessing it is to have this spirit of truth in us. When we walk out of this place, let's celebrate that. Let's proclaim his goodness. And let's, let's live as though he has extended grace to us. Because we are no different than the people who were in Romans 1. We are the people of Romans 1. We were just saved by grace. Let's pray.